welcome to the Everyday Board Game Podcast with your hosts, Daniel. And Daniel. Good morning, Daniel. How you been? I'm doing pretty good. And you? Can't complain yet. And it's not morning. Check to our generic banter of the day. I'm sure everybody <laughs> believed every bit of that. <laughs> no, this is uh, a good week. We, we came up with this topic uh, last week, and we were all very, very excited about it. Oh, yeah. I can't wait for to get going on this. There's been a lot going on in my place. As you can see, I got a different background right now. Uh, I'm in the middle of a move, so it's either this or bare walls behind me. <laughs> so that's probably why you're hearing a bit of an echo too. There is nothing in this room but my desk and computer. Yeah, it's a little sad. I saw it right before we went on. And our friend Nagsis uh, came on and he says, hey guys, haven't seen Daniel on the left for a while. I mean, you've always seen Daniel on the left, haven't you? Like, Daniel's always been on the left. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I've always been on the left. Yeah, or I've always been on the left. Either way, Daniel has been on the left. <laughs> what I'm saying. Anyway, no, that's just being silly. Uh, we have another top eight debate here for you, as always. Daniel, I'm, I'm glad you were able to make this top eight debate. I know you're going through the move. Things are crazy. And for once, I was kind of hoping that I wouldn't be the one who canceled. <laughs> <laughs> no, you no, fooled I'm, me again. I, I got, well, the thing is, I got everything pretty much set up. My internet stops going here on Saturday and starts at the new place on Saturday. So there shouldn't be too much of a delay. And those of you who are watching this live, he said his internet goes out on Saturday. Not today, which is what it just glitched out and seemed like it was about to do. <laughs> it, it might also be because I got this background. Right. It's because of the background. That's, that's yeah, entirely yeah, it. Yeah, that's what it is. That's, that's what I'm going to say. Yeah. It's amazing how, like, taking a generic background and putting it behind you causes lag in the internet. <laughs> as opposed it does. To it's it's got to deal with that whole picture. Yeah, exactly. I, I get you. So today's top eight debate is one of our favorites. Um, a game, it, it's something that we, when we found it on Board Game Geek, we didn't realize how many of them there actually was. Um, last time I checked, it was probably a few thousand at least. Yeah, there's quite a listening. bit on there. And a lot of really good ones. Our topic today, our top eight debate, is the top eight games with end game bonuses. That's anything that scores you extra points or goals at the end of the game. Uh, whether that game is, or whether through the game's mechanisms it gives you the end game bonuses, or you start with some and you have to aim for those by the end of the game. So the definition on a board game geek is players earn or lose bonus victory points at the end of the game. That's right. And so there's a lot of ways that it could have could have worked out. I like the way this works. Uh, one of my honorable mentions is kind of a cheat. And then, uh, hopefully, if we have the ability to, we're going to film a double episode. So if you're watching us yeah. live, which you should do, you should watch us live, then you get to see that bonus episode right after. But we'll see. Maybe not. We'll see how tired we are. We haven't decided that yet. Yeah, we haven't. Uh, exactly. We know what the topic's going to be. We just haven't decided what we're going to do. Uh, right. For those, I'm just trying to close out the poll here soon, or as of right now. Just to make sure I got our numbers. But other than that, what have you been up to? Oh, we've been busy. I uh, <laughs> I know it's we don't normally talk about uh, what we've been playing on Top 8 Debates, but I'm going to bring it up right now. 
uh, because it does actually pertain to our next topic. And me and my kids finished Zombie Kids Evolution. We've unlocked all 13 envelopes. It is a legacy game, kids level legacy game, cooperative, kind of like a tower defense thing. And we finally finished unlocking all 13 episodes. And I can't wait to talk about that a little bit more without giving spoilers. Uh, that's going to be a, a tricky thing to go through, it, talk about those with spoilers. But um, in all honesty, it's one of those legacy games where no matter what you do, the envelopes don't progress a storyline any, any bit. All it does is just unlock some new things, some different things that you can do. But it doesn't change how you're going to play from previous games. So I'll give another example. Pandemic Legacy. Daniel, when, when you played Pandemic Legacy, weren't you excited every time you opened a package and went, oh, ooh, how is that going to change the story? Yes and no. <laughs> Just because I was afraid something bad was going to come out because, uh, you know, bad things will happen as well as good things coming out of the boxes. You just don't know what's coming up. Now, it was exciting. It was almost like Christmas in a sense, but still. Yeah. But I mean, also on the fact that you everything you do in the game permanently alters the future game. Yes, that's one good thing about it. But then you might make a decision that might harm you later on based on how how it ended up playing out. And that's something that's very interesting with it, that in Zombie Kids Evolution, it doesn't do. I can tell you everything that's in the envelopes and you're not going to change how you play it based on whether you've unlocked it or not. Everything's going to stay the same effectively. Yeah. I like what it did, but it's not a great legacy experience. Well, it's not really a legacy experience for adults in a sense, but I bet you younger audience, the, the children will enjoy it because it gives them that feel of a legacy campaign. Yeah, yeah, and they were very much excited about it. When my kids played it, they they would play a few games and then be bored of it for a week or two. It, we've been playing it since early in the lockdown last year, around March, I believe, is when I bought it. Okay. So, and we started playing it, I believe, in November. So there was a big chunk of time that we've been playing it for like eight or nine months now over the course of that. And we probably played, I think, about 20-something times over that time. And it's been fun for what it is, but I think my kids just wanted to finish it and, and see what that final envelope was, and they wouldn't let me just let them open it. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, it was still yeah, pretty fun. You do do that to your kids a lot. I do. Well, I mean, if you're going to play a game... That, that makes you grind, you know? It's like, it's just like playing an RPG. Like, oh, I want to go beat this boss. Well, I got to go beat, like, 40 other monsters, like, in the every hour. And then maybe I might have a chance after doing that for a few days long. You know, it's the same idea. Yeah. It makes you work to unlock the envelopes. If you win, it's faster. If it's if you don't, it's quite a bit slower. Yeah, no, no, I, get it. I understand. It's just, you know, their, their attention span is not where we're at. I mean, mind you, I don't have the greatest attention span either. As you can see, I'm going all over the place looking at everything, making sure everything's working. So, right. Yeah, no, it's it's one of those things. But I digress. It was good fun. Uh, on the next episode, we're going to be talking a little bit more about zombie blank evolution, which we'll be talking about here soon. So I'll save it for that. Daniel, what have you been up to lately? 
Um, other than the move, not too much. I did get to play some games, but I'll probably talk about it on the other episode of what when we do the what we've been playing. But I do have to say I've gotten more games of Summer Camp in, and yeah, it's shooting to the top of the list. I'm really, really enjoying that game a lot. Yeah. What is your and favorite now, uh, uh, merit I've, badge? I've seen all of them, finally. I've seen every deck. I don't know. I, I have a hard time saying I kind of like the cooking path. I, I find that one fun, but I also really, really enjoy the uh, uh, friendship path because there's a card in there that when you buy it, uh, after you use it, it, gives you five energy outright, and then you have to put it in someone else's discard pile. So you only get to really use it that one time, and then it just gets passed around. Yeah, the friendship bracelet, that, that, that card is really fun. No, no, but no, just, that was the, it was the secret admirer. Oh, so I'm thinking friendship bracelet is, it's something similar, but I think you also yeah. pass it to the discard pile. Okay. Also, I also enjoyed water sports because it had like uh, a card where it's like, hey, move if you move on the track you're furthest along, and then there was also a card in there, move on the track that you're the least on, and I'm like, that's yeah. kind of cool. There's like a like, nice little catch-up mechanic on that one as well. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Man, summer camp is so good. But we've we've also have way more to talk about later on about games that we've been playing because I got you to try another Phil Walker Harding and I'm excited about that. <laughs> yep, nope, nope. We do have all that. So, uh, but let's go ahead and get into our topic because we we've belayed the fact long enough. That's right. So our topic today: what is the best games with endgame bonuses? So we asked the audience, what is the best game with endgame bonuses? And we had quite a few added on. Uh, normally, we start with our top eight, and we see what gets added on. Uh, starting from the top of just what was added to the poll itself, uh, Dan, represent, added Gaia Project, which I don't think, I think it's one of those ones that neither of us have played. No, I, I keep hearing good things about it, but I just have not tried it yet. I want to, I just... It's not something you own or I own or I think any of our, our group of friends own. It's just hasn't got to the table. Is this the space version of uh, uh, that one Terra Mystica? Terra Mystica? I believe so. I think it is the sci-fi version of Terra Mystica. Okay, that's what I thought. And I do, I have played Terra Mystica and I do like it. It's been a while. It'd take me a while to remember, but it was a really fun game. Uh, the next on the list here was added by Anders, and that's Architects of the West Kingdom. Now, I know you're not a huge fan of this game, and it's mainly for one mechanism that you have an issue with. But there is some indie game bonuses. There, It's not like the main thoroughfare of the game itself. Your Most of your points are basically going to come from building either the cathedral or going up on certain tracks. But there are indie game bonuses by having the artisans or something like that. I do like the game. I think it's a good game. I don't know how I know how you feel about it, so go ahead and let the people know. Uh yeah, that game's garbage. <laughs> it deserves to die in a fire. No, it it's fine. I just I really don't like that mechanism. It took me right out of the game. Made it not fun. Don't play it as <laughs> three play. Maybe as two, maybe as four. Do not play three. One person will just lose. Well, I mean, obviously two people will lose. One person will have no choice over it. No matter how well they play, they will be teamed up on. Guaranteed. Uh, the next one was added by Brett, and that is Great Western Trail. 
Daniel, you love this game. Tell it. I do. I do enjoy it. I, I I like it a lot. The only problem is I need to play it again to really see how I feel because there were some issues with the rules. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a bit finicky. There's a lot going on. The rule book could have been better, and I'm hoping the reprint has the better rule. Yeah, I hope so too. Most definitely. Uh, yeah, I I liked Great Western Trail. I can't wait to try it again. Out of the two Western games that we had played most recently, that's easily my, my favorite of the two. Um, and there's just something about the sandboxy. No, you're, 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 this is the Fister one. Uh, the one you're thinking about was Western Legend. Oh, I am mistaken. No, I like this the least of the two. <laughs> and, and now I'm questioning it because, and let me tell you why. I've heard great things about Alexander Fister games. I own quite a few Alexander Fister games. I, don't I haven't played one I enjoy yet. <laughs> That's because the other ones I have are on my shelf of shame, and I do believe I'm going to like them, but I haven't played them. And so I, I, I do have problems with the one of them that you own, and that's uh, Blackout Hong Kong, mm-hmm. just because those cubes are so difficult. Yeah, yeah, for colorblind folk, I was afraid of that. I love the neon look of it. I've always loved like everything super dark and then a little bit of spots of lights here and there. I absolutely adore that style, but I don't know. Yeah, I really I, don't. yeah, I'm the same way. It's it's really difficult for me to see. Uh, yeah. So the next one that was added again by Anders here, and this is Jamaica. A uh, nice little fun racing game uh, dealing with pirates. I enjoyed it, but it's not something I go out of my way for. How about you? I do own Jamaica. I do like it, and I have the expansion, which I haven't played yet. I've owned it for about a year and a half now, and I just haven't gotten a chance to play it. I haven't played that game in one a few years, but there is something really fun about it. I I appreciate race games that can do it in a new way that I haven't seen. Um, it it's really fun, but at the same time, I'm not exactly Jones in to put it on the table anytime people come over and I have to relearn how to play it because it's that long in between plays of it. Yeah, it's it's been a few years for me as well. It's just it's fun when I play it, but it's just a chore to relearn it, honestly. Yeah, and maybe that's the problem. Maybe we just need to play it like five times back to back. And then <laughs> and just like massively memorize the note or how to play it. Then we'll see. Uh the next one was added also by Anders, and that was title blades. Ah, oh, the, the many things I have about this game. And I think we just recently talked about this uh, when we got together and played some games recently. Mm-hmm. And my things with this one is it's a beautiful game. It's probably the most beautiful yeah. game out there right now. It's it's up there. It is up there. Yeah. But for me is that it, even though it's a really, really good game, there is so many moving parts on this that you just get lost. It's like you got to pay attention to this. Oh, but the judge is over here. But you got to make sure you go over here and fight these monsters, or you got to make sure you keep up with this race going over here. It's just there's a lot going on. I, I may have to play it again just to really feel, get how I feel. But that that one time we played it, I I enjoyed it, but I thought there was just there was too much. I I was incredibly disappointed with it, and and I don't know if you remember, I was the one who requested our mutual friend bring it. And oh yeah, and the thing is, you won the game. We looked we looked yeah. up the stats. You won the game. Yep, I won the game, and I wasn't, like, first off, I love this theme. I absolutely adore the aesthetics, the graphic design, 
that's probably up there. I'm I I'm ashamed that I tend to forget about it when we talk about the prettiest games because mm-hmm. that game is is absolutely stunning. And I've loved tropical or oceanic themed mainly because they're blue. I know it sounds silly, but like I love Aquatica. You know, I love the way Tidal Blades look. I love all of these like tropical things. I got a game for about surfing just because that's awesome. You know, yeah. it's a beautiful theme. But then I played it and I was like, okay, I see what it's doing. And it it's it's a non-streamlined game trying to pass off as streamlined and failing miserably. If that makes any sense whatsoever. It's yeah, like, I know. I get it. It, I, all of that game. I had the same issue you have with Great Western Trail or Fister Gate. You don't feel like it's streamlined. It's just like to me, there was like three or four different games in this one game. You you could have gone the route with uh, John DeClaire did with Mystic Fell. He had this big old grandiose game, but he's like, okay, let's just do the Mystic Fell part of it. And then worry about like the big grandiose part of it. If if you did like a smaller version on one of those mechanisms that they have in it, then then you go up into this big game because this was a lot to learn for the first play. Yeah, and it and it gave off that impression that it's supposed to be easy. It's not a streamlined game, and it's from a company that that uh, is it Druid City Games. I made this one, I believe. I think so. I know Skybound is attached to it somewhere, somewhere, or another. Yes. Yeah, I think it's Druid City, and if it's not, then by all means, correct me in the com- comments. But I was really impressed with a lot of their other creations, like the Grim Forest. Um, I, I got to look that up now, because now it's going to bother me. Um, well, while but, you're looking that up, I'm going to go ahead and read the next one here. Yeah. Again, added by and- Anders, and that is Mission Red Planet. Now, have you played this one? No, not yet. I have. And it, it's good. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the game. I didn't do well at it. But um, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Bryce, who's a friend of the show, owns it. And he had a small game day on a Thursday or something like that. We all got together, played some games. And it was it was pleasantly, surprisingly good. Uh, of course, it's a Cathala game, so you can't go wrong there. Uh, it did really well. Had a good time. We played the second edition, I think is what it was. So it was a bit more streamlined, I understand, from like the first one that came out. I, I did enjoy it. Good deal. Yeah, this one I do you think I would like this one. I think you would enjoy it. I don't think you it would be like the top of your list, but you would you'd be like, mm-hmm, okay, that was good. I play it again, but I don't think it's something you would go out of your way to own. Yeah, I've been questioning it because I had had opportunities to buy it and I, I just haven't decided yet. So yeah, uh, going back on Title Blade, it was made by Druid City, and I requested it because I had recently picked up Grim Forest and. Uh, Grim mm. Master Raid, and I think that those games they give you that appearance of this big, massive experience and beautiful components, but it's an incredibly simple, streamlined game. And yeah, that's yeah, yeah. making with Tidal Blades, and I was disappointed. Uh, Florian added through the ages. Okay, your thoughts, Daniel? So, I haven't played my physical copy of this game. And everything I hear is because I played the app. I'm probably not going to want to play the physical copy of the game. <laughs> no, don't get me wrong. Through the ages, the app itself is really good, and I do want to play my physical copy, especially since I got the expansion as well. But I have so much fun playing that app that I think I will still enjoy the physical board game itself whenever I get it to the table. It's just it's been in a box for the last three weeks or so, 
So it's actually not even in this place right now. It's at the other house. <laughs> so when I have game night again, we'll, we'll, I'll have to bust it out. All right. Sounds like a plan. Carrig? Craig? Uh, sorry if I'm butch- uh, butchering that name there. Added Bunny Kingdom. And I do enjoy this one. A nice little Richard Garfield game, a uh, little puzzle aspect of how you're putting your bunnies out there and where you're taking certain stuff. Uh, I had a good time playing it. I don't remember it too well. I just remember fondly enjoying it. How about you? Uh, yeah, I used to own it. Um, it was fun. It was okay. But man, we're being kind of negative on this one. Uh, but 100%, I agree with it being on our list here. And I, it, and that's because the end game bonuses are so varied. There's so mm-hmm. many different ones, and it's an integral part of the mechanism in the game. And that's one thing that I think a lot of these miss out on. Yes, there's end game bonuses, but they're normally just dealt out, and you just deal with it by the end yeah. of the game. No, this, and then, you, if you want to draft it, that's one other card that you're not drafting, and every card is really good, and that's a valuable, meaningful choice. I yeah, love exactly. That. That's probably my favorite part. Uh, I would have to say I enjoy that part of it. As I, I, Me, personally, I just enjoy the drafting mechanism, and sometimes I don't even look at those in-game goals. I'm just like, no, I want this card instead. Yeah, yeah no, I, I think it's absolutely brilliant. I, I really like Bunny Kingdom. As far as that goes, the game itself, it was okay. I, I enjoyed it. I had fun with it while I owned it, and I didn't feel the need to keep owning it. I'd play it again, though, if somebody brought it up. Well, the thing is, it's one of those things I talk about one of my board gaming rules is that I try not to own something I don't, I think I'm only going to play with the main group, which is you, our mutual friend Bryce, and another mutual friend. If it's something that I think would work with the other game group I play with, then I'll buy it. But other than that, it's just if it's just going to be you guys, I don't buy it. Unless none of us own it, right? Unless none of you own it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Pataki said uh, Stone Age. And 100%, I love Stone Age. Stone Age amazing. I'm glad he put it on here. Couldn't agree more. It's not on my honorable mentions. And that's just because I don't feel the end game bonuses are really that valuable in the game. I mean, sure, it's half of the game, technically. But yeah. really... It's just those cards. That's the only bonus you get. I just put five, um, my honorable mentions, I just put the games that I like the most. Honestly, I didn't really think about the end game bonuses. If they were on the list, I put it on. Uh, except for go. my number Except for my number one, because uh, the end game bonuses do matter in that game. Okay. Cool. Well, then um, let's talk about our honorable. Oh, no, wait. No, we had some comments, didn't we? <laughs> yes, we did. Uh, Brett says he added the Great Western Trail, although not sure why BGG doesn't have it with its mechanics, with, with the mechanism. The objective cards you choose during the game are only scored at the game end. And I think the reason why they didn't have this on uh, the end game bonuses is because he said the key word. I think that's a whole different object, uh, mechanism on Board Game Geek is objective cards. Yeah, objective cards. Yeah, so endgame bonuses just increase or decrease the amount of points you get. Objectives is like factors that you have to get in order to yeah. succeed. Um, which I know that's kind of like... Uh, that's nitpicking, but... It's nitpicking, exactly. But, you know, it happens. Florian, he said, added through the ages, same reason as Brett. It described for Great Western Trail. 
And again, same thing. It's just because I think the objective cards are their own little thing on the site because you got your in-game bonuses, which will say in-game, and these are objective. Right. And Chris added, I particularly or like Terraforming Mars, which seems to be based on what the designer think is admirable with penalties for what he disagrees with, like slaves and bribery. Oh, pets, they're good. I don't remember slaves in the game, but sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sure. No, I, I remember the pets because huh? it's like the one random card that has a true picture on it is the pets. It's somebody's pet dog. Do you know whose pet dog it is? No, I just, I, it was only pointed out to me that it's an actual real picture rather than like the artwork that they have on the rest of it. And I'm, I cannot unsee it now. Yeah, every time you get the pets card. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Well, thank you all for, for adding in these comments. It's been great addition to our discussion. Uh, we can talk about our honorable, honorable mentions now. Uh, let me get the coin of doom. Uh, point of doom. We missed you on the last podcast when we had to do the dice of doom. Oh, the that's right. doom. When, when Bryce did not believe that we did not plan that. That was beautiful. <laughs> well, right. he should be used to me always trying to get a rise out of you one way or another while we're doing something. Yeah, it's always going to happen regardless. All right. <laughs> point of doom. Here we go. It's a quarter this time. And I'll be starting us off. My number one um, I did not see it on the board game geek list, and I strongly, strongly disagree with the game, or with that not being on the list, because this game is all about endgame bonuses, or maybe that's why, because that's the only way you get points is by drafting these cards as endgame bonuses instead of the cards that are on the front, and that's point salad. I put point salad as my number one. Because on your turn, you're either going to take two ingredient cards, which are just one of the five or six different vegetables, or however many out you have, and, or you can take one of the cards as its victory point condition, where it might say every two tomatoes you have is worth five points. Or uh, if you have a, an onion, it's worth four points, but then if you have a tomato, it's worth minus one. And the whole game is strategizing which victory points you want to get versus which ingredients you want to get as well. I think it's a brilliant game. It's absolutely awesome. I love the way it works. And it's perfect for what we're looking at. That's point salad is the game. I can see why BGT didn't put it up. I just checked it out and saw that it wasn't there. I think it's because it's a set collection more than anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that again it's the nitpicky aspect of it i get what you're saying i do enjoy point salad i think it's a fun little card game uh the only problem with point salad is that it really got replaced for me by a different game another one that you actually showed me that's also about vegetables really okay yeah is it on your list or do you want to know it's not on my list because it's a it's a card shedding game it's abandoned all artichokes ah uh, yes well yeah, I consider those so different that I'm willing to have both of them. No, no, I consider them different, too. It's just that if you told me, hey, you want to play point salad or do you want to play abandoned artichokes, I'm going to go artichokes all the way. But right. my number three honorable mention is on the list. It's one of those games that, yeah, it does have in-game bonuses, but they're really not as important to the rest of the game. 
But I had to put it on here because it's Bruno Cathala. It's one of my favorite Bruno Cathala games. Do you know which one it is? No, I don't. Off the top of my head. Five Tribes. Five Tribes, yeah. You know, when I saw this on the list, I thought it was going to be higher. But it does make a lot of sense. Yeah, because it, it, the in-game bonus there is, it's it's not really there. It's the genies really are your in-game bonuses. There's a few others with the cards by, like, having certain sets and stuff like that. But what I do like about Five Tries, though, is the Moncala mechanism is so good and so different because depending on what your last uh, guy is that you drop off somewhere and take off, you get to do their special ability, whether it's Assassinate or... Uh, I can't even remember what some of the other colors are because I always remember the assassination because it has one of the most memorable moments for me is because somebody, when they did it, they did the assassination, which killed another character, which ended the game because there's no feasible moves for us to do because they took the one feasible move that you could have done. And so I have a great time playing it. Uh, There's a lot of interesting choices with it, but it's on the back end of it because, again, the in-game bonuses are there, but they're not as important as it is with some other games. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I don't disagree with that whatsoever. Five Tribes is awesome, but you're right. The end game bonuses, I forgot that there was actually end game bonuses in that game until I saw it on my list. Yeah, the only ones that I remember really are the genies or the djinn. Yeah, the djinns. Uh, Yep, that makes sense. My number two is a city building game. It's one of the few... Times I tend to bring this up. Uh, City Skylines. No. Oh. That does not have any endgame bonuses that I'm aware of because it's cooperative and you only win or lose, if I'm not mistaken. I don't remember. But, I just know this. Oh, yeah. Okay. This is the one that you don't care about. And and I understand, you know, there's a lot of ways to get points through and throughout it. And the endgame bonuses are not huge, but I mean... It sounds like you get 20 victory points, but really that's a minor uh, blip in what you're getting, and that's Suburbia by Ted Alspeck. Uh, Suburbia is awesome. Uh, I'm, I don't know why you don't like it as much as, as you do. You know, I know you tolerate it. And, I prefer and Quadropolis in all honesty. It's just if I had to choose between the two, I'd go with Quadropolis. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I do agree. <laughs> Quadropolis is also, if not better, as good. But I do think Suburbia doesn't get enough love for it. It tends to have its fans that really like it. What, I was going to say, what do you mean it doesn't get enough love? Did you not see the Kickstarter for the Collector's Edition? Yeah, I did. But those are a really select number of people. I'm sure it's a <laughs> lot of money because you're putting like $400 per copy or something. something <laughs> so ridiculous, yeah. It's one of those games that for some reason only has people who really like it or really dislike it. There's no middle ground. There's no. I'm there's in no the middle ground. ground. Uh, to be truthfully honest, you're you're the one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's just it. I've never seen people like. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I'll play it from time to time. It's it's whatever, you know. But yeah, you know, I think my like, my issue with it though is just that it takes longer than it really should for me. I just it feels like it's the longer of the two between that and Quadropolis. Yeah, and but once you get the hang of it though, it can go a lot quicker. It, yeah, like 30, 45 minutes. But the thing I like most about it, and this is why I put it on my list for endgame bonuses, is because not only do you have secret endgame bonuses, you have communal endgame bonuses as well. So, like, uh, for example, if you have the most population, you might have that hidden and you're trying to get the most population where the other one might say the most water and that's everybody who's getting it. 
So it's where that gets awarded to whoever gets the objective, whereas your secret one only gets awarded to you if you get your objective. Um, and I may be wrong on that, but that's that's one of the reasons I like it is because it kind of flips that end game bonuses on its head. And that's uh, Suburbia. No, no, I don't disagree with you. I, I get why you put it on the list, and I know why you like it. To me, it's just it's the length thing, honestly. And again, Quadropolis, just it's more streamlined for my liking. And Days of Wonder just streamlines their games very well. But there's nothing wrong with Suburbia. I play it if others want to do, but I really just have to be in the mood for it. Yeah. So my number two game on my list is one you've already mentioned. Really? Is that a uh, point salad? No, it's one that you got confused with earlier, and that is Western Legends. Okay, fair enough. As of right now, it is my favorite theme, Western themed game out there. I, I've had a blast playing it. I, I, I enjoy playing the two player. It's not that great, but it's not bad because you got the whole man in black mechanism. Uh, I do prefer it with a uh, higher player count. I love all the choices you get to make throughout the game because it literally is uh, open-ended, uh, open world, whatever you want to call it, because you can go, you, you can just gamble the entire game. And if you're doing well, you still have a chance of winning. You can also dig for uh, gold, dig for gold and still have a possibility to come out. You can go combat people if you need to, if someone's like a bad guy, really uh, infamous I really enjoy all of it. I need to try the expansion. I have one of it. I got the second one on the way. Um, I'm just waiting for it to come into the mail. I have a real good time every time I play this. And in fact, I've been itching to bust this one out again because I really want to dive into that Western theme more. I'd be in. 100%. I'd be in. But again, the in-game bonuses are there, but they're not important. Right. Good deal. Yeah, very good pick. And my last one is kind of a weird one. Uh, it is an auction game with endgame bonuses. It was on our list, yep. And it's one of the strangest, most bizarre auction games I've ever played. And so much to the point where I was actually driving home last night talking to a friend of mine, and we were talking about that publisher, and I was telling him about this game. And it has the dumbest title I've ever heard. It's QE. Or ah. quantitative easing. Don't ever call it that. You will scare people away so fast. Nobody will want to play this game with you. But it's an auction game where you are, you could bid any amount of money whatsoever. It's just any amount, whichever, whoever bids the highest will take the tile. And you have all these tiles that score in different ways. And of course, you do get bonuses for your home territory. So it's not quite that great. But what makes it interesting is whoever bids the highest over the entire course of the game, they automatically lose because you've inflated your country. You, you know, your, your money is worthless. You spend thousands and thousands of dollars and you buy a bag of peanuts. You know, it's nothing. I love this game. It's so fun. I can't wait to – I don't – have you played this, Daniel? No, I haven't. I've been meeting to, but we, we, we do get together with our group. We tend to play the longer, bigger games that we can't play with anyone else. I know. Our last game day, I think I only got in two games, maybe three. Hey, our last game day, I got in no games, all right? That's true. That's because I have none in this house. (laughs) Well, it happens. We'll we'll get there soon enough, sure enough. But (laughs) 
Yeah, that's on a brighter we'll, note, we're going to be living like five minutes away, so it's just going to be easier for us to get together to play games and film as well. Yep. Kiwi, that's an interesting choice for number one. My number one is also a new game uh, that I just received recently. I think we played this a couple months ago, and I've talked about it before. And this is really, there's a lot of ways to get points, but the in-game bonuses are some of the bigger ones, and it's a Stonemeyer game. Is this Between Two Cities? No. This oh. is Red Rising. Oh, yeah. Yep, Red Rising. <laughs> One of my new favorite games that I've just recently received, as I said. Uh, I love the fact that it has multi-use cards, uh, where you're trying to either keep them or use them to do something else, to move your tra- up on tracks elsewhere, get helium as you're going along. But if you got that card, that one card, and you're like, ooh, this is going to give me 30 points if I get these two other characters in here, and then they're going to score points off this card as well, and you're just going to get those combos for the end game. So you're trying your, your darndest to actually find those cards that you need to get. So you're trying to cycle through the deck and get people to discard cards as well so you can find those characters. Because if you get those cards just right, you can score a whole lot of points. And the in-game bonus is a very integral part of this game, and that's why it's my number one. And not to top mention, the art is great. The mechanism I like. I like the New Fantasy Realm. I really like it in this one as well, where you're just either shedding cards, playing cards, doing different abilities. I love multi-use card games. They just work so well. And that's based off a book series I'm familiar with. Now, I haven't finished it because I'm in other book series, but I really, really enjoy it. I really enjoyed this one. My only complaint is, as nice as the collector's edition is with the metal pieces, those colors are some of the hardest. This is probably one of the hardest colors to see from Stonemaier. Stonemaier's been really good with their colorblind friendly, but I think it's because they went with the metal cubes to the, the collector's edition that it's, it's very difficult to get certain colors that you want on there to properly shine, and so it's going to make it very uncolorblind friendly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It. I like how they listed at least the colors on the, <coughs> on on there. But I don't like how they use like alternate name for the colors. You know, like like yeah. and whatever. I get it. I just. Uh, yeah, the I I get why you don't like that. It's it fits there very thematically for the game itself because those are actually the classes because you have your golds, your coppers, and stuff like that in the books. That's the classes that the system that's in there. So I get why it's there. I understand why you don't like it because you're not familiar with the thematic part of it. It's all gray. Uh, They're all just gray. That's all they are. (laughs) So that's silly. All right. Well, are you ready to get into the actual debate itself? Oh, I am. All right. It's going to be a fun one because there's a lot of games on here I really enjoy. There's a lot of really good games on here. Um, This is definitely going to be more of a... more, More of a your heavy list. I, I'll have some good arguments, but th- this is all about the games that you absolutely adore. And that is endgame bonuses. Every one of our top eight debates, we do the same thing. We go on boardgamegeek.com and we find a mechanism, publisher, something that we can have as a list, and then we put it by rank, and the highest voted for and the highest ranked games on boardgamegeek.com that Daniel and I have both played are the ones that we are going to be debating. Now, that's important because we pick the ones that we have both played for what reason, Daniel? Well, we can make a sound argument, uh, in all honesty. If it comes down to a game that we've never played, how are we going to make a good logical judgment or argument for a said game? 
Uh, case in point, if I've never played Wingspan, which is on our list here, then I wouldn't be able to make an argument for why it should move on to the next round. So it's very important that we play both games, or we both play these games. Yep. Absolutely. Good deal. Um, yeah, we, we have to have a sound argument both way, and we will be arguing. That happens guaranteed every time. We also rank it on five different criteria. Those criteria, starting off, is ease of play. We talk about ease of play specifically in three subcategories. There is simplicity and familiarity with the rules. Is it something that you've grown up with? Are you pretty easy to adapt to it? And how simple are the rules to get? I mean, if there's like a whole list of rules per card, not so simple. Uh, AP prone. That means that AP stands for analysis paralysis, and it's a common term in the board game world where specifically how much does the rules, options, mechanisms, or rules causes somebody to freeze up when they're trying to make a decision on their turn? Do, do you have everything thrown at you? Are you going to freeze up and take a million turns or take a million minutes just to take your turn? That takes players out of it, and it makes it less simple. And then uh, likelihood of getting to the table initially. This is not only just simple, it's like, hey, it's like Yahtzee, but this, this is also with the theme. What is, what is, is it similar to something that you're familiar with? It's like, oh, well, you know, this is like Yahtzee, both giant kaiju monsters. Okay, there's a good chance that if you like either of those two, you'll probably be willing to give the game a try. King of Tokyo is what I'm talking about, <laughs> uh, if it wasn't obvious. So that's ease of play. Well, the next one we go through is replay value. This is the length and time of the scaling of the game. Is a two-player game almost consistent as a four-player game, or do things change as you're playing? The minimum number of plays to get to the full experience. This is tends to be a little more heavily weighted to, say, a campaign or legacy-style game because you're going to have to play through a lot of it. But this also could mean uh, a game that has a bunch of cards, or you can be able to see all the different cards, all the different mechanisms said cards can give you. Uh, you mentioned point salad earlier uh, are you going to be able to see and how each of those work and so that's what it, we mean by minimum number of plays and finally expandability are there already existing expansions we are also allowing up to one possible future expansions if there's a volume one we're assuming there's going to be a volume two as well as if they've either been confirmed by the designer or the publisher yep. next category is art and production and that's how beautiful the art is, which we know is subjective, but there are some games that are very clearly, they did not pay the artists as much as others, <laughs> you know, and that's fine. Or how well does the art match the theme? We also talk about the component quality. Uh, back in the day, Mayfair used to be made fun of quite a bit for very thin, chintzy cardboard pieces. Long, long gone are those days. Would you rather have meeples or plastic miniatures? Depends on the game itself. And finally, the graphic design. We feel this is one of the most important parts of art and production, and that's because a simple uh, art and design for a game, simple iconography and common sense used in those can help really bring out the enjoyment of the experience, as well as just make it easier for somebody to play. And something that hits on me and Daniel's factors very much is, is the game colorblind friendly? If it's not, you're out. Sorry. Yeah, we go after you hard. Mm -hmm. It's the thing, it's that there's a high population that need uh, colorblind help. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the next on our list here is game immersion. And that goes with what we were talking about graphic design. Does the game fit the category or the theme matching the mechanism? Uh, this one, I think we're going to go with more of the category, how we talked about at the top of the thing is, are the in-game bonuses important or are they just there? Are it, so that's how we're going to go with this. Player interaction, does it involve table talk? Are you role-playing your characters? As you notice my background here, it's Jaws of the Lions from Gloomhaven. Do you get into the character you're playing as, as you would in, say, a role-playing game? That's player interaction, as well leading to the memorable moments. What are those moments that are going to make you stand up and shout and make the whole room turn and look at you? That's right. And finally, the last one, meaningful choice. And this one is incredibly important specifically for this debate. And that's because endgame bonuses, if you have the means to pull off an endgame bonus and that is impactful to your game, then that talks about long-term strategy. How well can you affect other players' uh, strategies? How well you can affect your long-term strategy and the ability to make non-arbitrary choices? Not only just is if all your choices are bad, even if all your choices are good, that makes all of them less interesting. and less Or important, for that matter. Or important, that's right. So those are the five different categories. We're going to go down each one. On our list. And just uh, to, for a reminder for everybody before we move on, fan vote. There is a reason why we put this poll up on Board Game Revolution, the, the community page on Facebook, is that if for some reason through all of these criteria we can't come up with a consensus and say who moves on, that's where you come in. Your fan vote is the tiebreaker. That's right. Good deal. So uh, before we move on, that's what we're going to be debating. We have eight games that was ranked on Board Game Geek that Daniel and I have both played. Starting off, it's going to be our number one seed, Terraforming Mars. Going off against our number eight seed, Clank, a deck-building adventure game. Our number two seed, Wingspan. Going up against our seven seed, Azul. Our number three seed, Everdale. Going up against our number six seed, Le Havre. Le Havre. And our number four seed, Puerto Rico. Going up against our number five seed, Underwater Cities. Okay. Battle of the Heavyweight Euros is really what this game. <laughs> oh, there, there really is a lot of and it's funny, you got these heavyweight Euros and Azul. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the abstract. <laughs> it, but you know, it also makes sense too, because No, no, I get it. it. I just I, I yeah. heavyweight, heavyweight, eh, sort of heavyweight, 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 azul. Azul. <laughs> None of these are like games I would immediately introduce to somebody except for Azul. Azul is... is yeah, yeah I, I would say Azul is the only gateway game here. Yeah, that's right. I completely agree with that. So, uh, let's get into it. We have our number one seed, Terraforming Mars, versus our number eight seed, Plank. And the way this works is we flip the coin of Doom. Daniel pulls one of the games from the Cups of Doom. The person whose coin is flipped on their side starts the debate with, with whatever game is pulled. And so, Daniel, you'll be starting us off this round. And I will be getting Terraforming Mars. Uh, I don't know if you can see it because of my screen there. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, I get Terraforming Mars. Okay. So, Terraforming Mars is probably one of my favorite games on this list. 
but I will be the first to say where it loses is in art and production because that game is ugly as sin. Even the upgraded expansion that I bought doesn't do much better for it. But the engine building and the choices that you got to make in this game are top-notch, phenomenal. And my favorite thing about Terraforming Mars, and you, you would know about this when I mentioned it, is that you can, in, in fact, impact AP-prone players because you can brute force this game and make it move fast so they can't sit there and try to min-max their turns because you can set the, the oxygen levels up. You can put the water uh, the water levels up. You can do all the three things to hit the in-game trigger, forcing that person to start making their moves go faster. You can literally impact AP players. And I there's not a lot of games that can do that. No, it, no we, um, we use that to our great advantage during oh, our, yeah. one of our first plays of this game. And we and we kept up. I think I got third, you got first or second. It, it was up there. We were yeah. the top three or four. It was only a four-player game, so it's not saying much, but the fact that we can still compete by brute-forcing the game tells you there's a lot of choices in this game. There's a lot of expansions. Five? expansions, full expansions that add different modules to the game. Uh, well, four expansions that add modules to the game, plus a double-sided player board, which gives you three different uh, player boards that you can try to play with as you're going along. Um, as well as you have a expansion that upgrades uh, some of the pieces, the get rid of the cardboard for uh, plastic pieces that help you out in the game. Still not the best thing in the world. Uh, you can, but there is some memorable moments. I just mentioned one right now where we were talking about brute forcing the game to make it go faster because, again, it could be a long game if you don't do stuff like that. But I can see why it's number one. The in-game bonuses are based off your cards as well. If you have a certain amount of creatures on a certain card or if you have so many of this tag or so many that works with this kind of material. So there are in-game bonuses in there, but I think that's where it's at its weakest because you won't know you got those until you draw them up. Yeah, I don't disagree, and I kind of already see where this is going to go, but I will make it a case for our, for our playing. And that's because neither, neither you nor I enjoy it as much as many other deck builders, but I do have a good counter-argument for it. Clank is a deck builder, where you are running into the dungeon, trying to go as far down as you can, grab the most valuable loot that you think you realistically can, and then get out before the dragon awakes and destroys you. There are a lot of things that you score up at the end of the game. Some of the cards are worth certain points. The treasures you get are worth certain points. And you get more valuable the farther down you push. So yes, there are end game bonuses, but on top of this, all three of the main mechanisms are end game bonuses in a way. I mean, sure, if you focus on just getting the really good cards, you're gonna be you're gonna naturally have a lot of points, but then you might not be able to benefit yourself as much by actually delving in. I love the idea of delving farther down into the depths. I think that's hugely meaningful as far as long term strategy. And when when one person finally decides to pull the trigger and start making their way back up and potentially waking the dragon. That's awesome as far as endgame bonuses. But just because you don't make it out doesn't mean you're going to lose. It might not mean you might not win, but that's still really fun. I think that endgame bonus is 
hilarious in that game, and it's really thematic in that way. Um, with that being said, I think there are more endgame bonuses, and I think they are more tied to the theme in Terraforming Mars based on what you're doing, and, and the game isn't contingent on it. If we were only judging by endgame bonuses, I think Clank would have gotten it, but we're judging the whole game, and that's why Terraforming Mars probably moves on. Yeah, I have to agree. I, uh, Terraforming Mars, I honestly think uh, Terraforming Mars is a much better game than Edgy Verdict got Echoey, my door just closed. So. Mm-hmm. All right, so that moves us on to the next round. That was an easy one. Uh, Wingspan versus Azul. This and one won't be easy. This one will be very easy. Very easy. <laughs> um, and I'll be starting this off. Hopefully I'll get the one I'm aiming for. Let's see. Am I you gonna get, get the one it? you're aiming for? Uh, come on, there it is. There, there we go. I got wingspan. Okay, let's talk about wingspan. Wingspan is every bird in that game. Obviously, is different. They have a different illustration and a beautiful art. But you have so many different endgame bonuses in that game that affect how many points you have collectively. You obviously have like endgame bonuses that are on the little card with all the tokens, which are variable and modular no matter what. So that's already a neat thing that a lot of games don't do is variable endgame bonuses. And it's for when you get certain objectives. Remind me, there's certain timing of whoever has most depending on the rounds, right? Yeah. Well, you have the end of round bonuses as well. But then the endgame bonuses are cards that you draw at the beginning of the game that you can draw because of certain birds that come out. Uh, that says if you have so many that has this name or this color or faces this way, that kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so the, there's all sorts of different ways. And then I love how the expansions adds in not only stuff that just worked with the expansion, but, but find new and weird ways, like how you just said. Like, how many birds face to the left? It's like, what? Why, like, why is that a thing? Like, they don't just fly at an angle, you know? Like, it's... Well, why does that matter? Uh, interesting to note as well, uh, the Oceana expansion actually give you birds that have end-of-game bonuses as well. Yep, exactly. So that that's also worth it too. So there's many, many different end-game bonuses throughout the entire game. And they use the art as a mechanism. Come on, that's ridiculous. But it's awesome. And Wingspan definitely has better end-game bonuses than Azul. Yeah, for the life of me, when I saw Azul on this list, I couldn't really remember the in-game bonuses, and then I realized, oh, negative victory points. There, there's, there's a few, yeah, because there's a couple that trigger, but it's also the negative victory points. So if you draw that negative token as well, or you can't use certain things, you get the negatives at the bottom. Because uh, like if you take too many pieces, you get the negatives well, at a, the bottom. That's not in-game bonuses. That's, yeah, that's it's more of end around. Yeah. But endgame bonuses for Azul, there is one for each of the seven stars that That's are on there right. if you filled them in. Then there's also ones if you filled in the, all the ones, twos, threes, and fours. And then there's, oh no, I'm thinking, I'm sorry. You're thinking, thinking Summer Pavilion. I'm thinking Summer Pavilion. Yes, there's only three of them. Sorry, I'd recently played Azul 3. Uh, there are only three of them, and that's every column you filled is seven points. Yeah. Every row is two points. And every set of all five colors is his points, yeah. So honestly, I see where this is going, and I don't disagree with where it's going, but I do want to give a good argument for Azul as a game itself. 
Again, we talked about it. This is a gateway game. You can get non-gamers to play this game. No, I do have to say about Wingspan, it's getting a lot of people who don't play games into gaming as well because they're a big birder or into birds and stuff like that. Azul, again, has a great drafting mechanism that people can be familiar with. You basically take a, a, group, a, a, section, a group of colors from a section and then placing it on your board, somewhere on your board. Very simple, very easy to teach, very easy to learn. Out of the two, I think this one's easy to play, hands down. It's amazingly produced. Those, those tiles are so well done. Uh, it plays quickly. How, it, it, it is mechanistic, but it, the mechanism itself is so well done. Yeah. Now, uh, I, I think Wingspan moves on. Yep, yep. I don't disagree with that. Even though I do prefer Azul over Wingspan, personally. I just think it's a better game. But I also really love Azul, and that's why. So I'm, but I took my bias out of it. I'm being fair. No, I'm being fair too. I try to give Azul its thing. It's just that, again, you mentioned there's just so many more in game bonuses. You, they use the artwork for in game bonuses as well. It, it just does so many things so well. Yep. Yep. Completely agree. Cool. So Wingspan moves on. Our next round will be Everdell versus Le Havre. That's just what I'm going to say. It's like it's like that one uh, call it uh, professional football quarterback, uh, Brett Favre, right? I'm I'm just going to ignore that <laughs> as I try to fix things over here. You've never heard I, that his name being said, Brett Favre. I'm just yeah, uh, who whose pick is this? <laughs> this is yours. Who's starting us off? I can't oh, come see. Come on. Come on. You just start turning out your face. It's, it's, this is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, 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 there we go. Give up. Give up while you're ahead. <laughs> Ever now. All right, do it. Which is kind of good because you know, probably know Le Havre better than I do. Gives me time to study. <laughs> <laughs> so, Everdale. What's weird about this for me is... The top three games on this list I own and really, really enjoy. And Everdell's one of those. Everdell probably has one of the most beautiful pieces in the game that is also one of the most useless things in the game as that tree. But the art itself is amazing. It's well produced. You get those little rubber berries, those great sticks, the resin. Uh, the in-game bonuses change as you're playing the game as well because you're going to draw four different ones as you play. There are some in-game bonuses that are the same every game, and then you're going to have in-game bonuses that are different every game. Uh, it's a worker placement engine builder that works really good. It's got a cute theme on it with the anamorphic uh, uh, animals. Uh, some people will overlook it as an easy game, but once you get started, it's actually easier to play than you would think. But it's not easy. I think if we're talking about gateway games, it's the next step up. It's so many choices uh, to make sure you have the proper engine that you're playing. As well, it has three expansions out plus a fourth one on the way. And honestly, the art, the art, let's get me. It's so good. Oh, it's my turn. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I do like the way Everdell looks. I think it's really great. It's just, it's, 
I've never seen an engine building game or a tableau building game get quite as out of hand as this is. And this is not a problem with the game. Well, no, in my opinion, I think it is a problem with the game is that oftentimes you will forget many of the cards. You're like, and, and so many times did we do that when we played. It's like, oh, wait, no, I forgot to do that. I forgot to do this thing again. Can I do it? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's fine. And we play friendly, you know, it's like, but at a certain point, you're like, wait, did I forget to do this? So I'm just going to edge my bets and assume I forgot, but I have no right to take this action because I can't prove it. I'm not yeah. certain. And, and I don't like how frequent that was in that game. That was my only. But that was also your first play of it too. I think if you sure. played it more, like I've played it a couple times and I figured it out. Mind you, I haven't added any of the expansions in it. My, there's Pearl Brook, you have Belfair, Spirecrest, yeah. and then the newest one. There's two that are coming actually. Then I mentioned it. There's two on the new expansion, so it's up to five. Because yeah. I forgot it's Mistwood, and then there's one other one that adds like a train mechanism to it. Yeah. No, I agree. It, it's fun, but. I'm going to make a solid argument for Lahav. And thankfully, since I got time to study, I was able to remember one very key point about Lahav that I think sets it amongst others. It has the standard, whoever has the most wealth at the end of the game, victory points, will be the winner. And so all of the buildings are worth a certain number of points. So that's already end game. But it's not necessarily the end game bonuses. There are other buildings like banks that give you more victory points based on what other buildings you've built throughout the game thus really leading to the strategy and what resources you want to get which ones you want to convert which ones you want to build i think that's brilliant how that works but on top of it one of the biggest things about lahav that sets it apart from others is that you have money in the game and that's one of the most vital critical resources in the game is the money you want to buy and sell very importantly which means one of the sometimes you might choose to or are forced to take a loan. Loans can be paid back throughout the course of the game, but they do get negative points if you don't by the end of the game. And that is another end game bonus or negative end game trigger that applies towards it. It's one of the few games in this list where you have penalties for not completing the the end game bonus. You know, sure, you get a mid-game bonus, but it can bite you in the rear if you don't take care of it sooner than later. I like that mechanism a lot. I think it's really valuable as far as as far as this. Personally, I would say I think Lahav is definitely not prettier than Everdell, <laughs> but I think it is a better game. So I did for, forget to mention these when it comes to the in-game bonuses. There is more in-game bonuses than Everdell. I'd say they're even, but they trigger well, in different ways. I said there's the eight, right? Yeah, yeah. So you have the four basic, and you have the four that if you meet it, you get that in-game bonus. There is also, depending on the cards as well, so if you have a husband and a wife, they're worth more points. If you have the queen in the castle, that's worth in-game points. So you have a pair of cards in your tableau, those are going to be your points as well. So you have to follow what you're trying to do there as well. So I think this one, we have to go to the criteria. All right. Sounds good. Ease of play. That would probably be Everdell. Trading in Yeah, research. Everdell, even though yeah. we had issues with it uh, when we first played it, it's a lot easier <laughs> than Lahav. Yeah, there's only like four resources. Lahav has something like 
twenty to thirty thousand resources when you can. Yeah, one them. of the resources you get is basically coins, which is victory points. It's all they're good for. Yeah, exactly. Well, you have to buy stuff still, but you know, either way, you, you buy those with the, the other resources, the sticks, the stones, and the the berries. Yeah. Yes. Correct. <laughs> But yeah, uh, so, so he's a play I think Everdell, and the other one I think it for sure wins is the art production. Now, Although, the, counter argument for that tree, it's pretty, it is obstructive. But yeah, I agree. but you're, you're not talking about like the components itself as well as the card art. Yeah. Um, so I think those two. I think the meaningful choice goes to the hover because you've got to be a lot more careful. Plus. You're not really sure what cards you're going to start with, so you don't really know how your your game's going to go because it's just random cards in your hand. So there's a little bit of luck there. So there's a lot more meaningful choice in the Havre or the Hav. Uh, game immersion, I'm going to say it's a bit of a push right now because I think replay value goes to Everdale. Yeah, I agree with that. Replay value. Goes to Everdale, which means Everdale wins it out. Moves, yeah. Okay. And uh, again, I went to the criteria, and Everdale has uh-huh. six expansions. Yep. No, you're you're not wrong. I just think Lahav is a better game, but that doesn't mean it shouldn't move on. Good deal. So Everdale moves on. No surprises yet. And our last one is Puerto Rico versus Underwater Cities. Our final of the semi, our quarterfinal round. And speaking and of heavy euros, these two were heavy euros. Two of the heavier ones, absolutely. And that is going to be you go first. You know which one I want, but I'm probably not going to get it. Yep. Probably. Actually, I got it. Oh, underwater, huh? Water. There, you see water. Underwater cities. Uh, and the only reason I wanted this one. Is because this is the one I remember the best. I've only played Puerto Rico once, and that one that was a bit of a chore because we played, I think, a four or five player game. I can't remember how much how much is hold, but we played a full capacity on that one. So for underwater cities here, oh, really, you're going to read the rules on that one as well. <laughs> it's very well produced. It's got really good components. Of course, if you played any CGE game. The components are the same component in every other CGE game, those little uh, lozenge discs. But uh, it's got an interesting worker placement that has a nice twist to it where you have to make a decision of where you're going to go, how it's going to be impactful, as well as what you're doing. Uh, You have to play smart or you can get hurt. The in-game bonuses are there because I'm going to minimize this because you're distracting me over here. It's very reduced. You have to play smart or you're going to get hurt because your in-game bonuses are whether you're connecting something as well as if you got certain cards, if you have the most of something. So it does fit all the criteria that you would want there. I do like the fact that it's a worker placement. I really enjoy those games, as I said before. I do like the twist because you have to play a card to go to a certain area. So if you're playing an A, you have to play an A card. If you're playing a B, you got to play a B card. If you're playing a C and so forth. Uh, but you also have areas where you could go just randomly and just play a card. Uh, I do like all the choices that you got to make in this game. I like the fact that you're trying to build and connect all your cities, per se, because they're going to start giving you your resources. So you got to make sure at least that city's connected, because if they're not connected, you're not getting all your resources. There's a lot of choices. This is a very heavy game. I really, really enjoy this one. And I don't mind Puerto Rico, 
but if I would have to say this would move on just because it's worker placement. Okay, that's fair. By reading through the rule book, I completely forgot how just monstrously ugly these components are. I mean, but- <laughs> they really are. No, I when I was reading, uh, making my script about Puerto Rico, I had to go into the BGG just to kind of refresh myself on this game. And when I saw pictures of those components, I was like, oh, it is so bad. The Puerto Rico, in my estimation, is the ugliest game on this list. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. The abstract game is prettier than Puerto Rico. Well, Azul is pr- very pretty, but even you said it yourself, Terraforming Mars is nothing. Uh, yeah. as far as art goes. I, terraforming yeah. Mars is ugly. Pretty. I think Puerto Rico is uglier than that. Absolutely. Um, but I like Puerto Rico so much better than Underwater Cities. Underwater Cities is kind of clunky. Puerto Rico is heavy, and that's just because there's almost no uh, no random in it. There is a little bit in which uh, resource tiles that come out. Yeah, but that's, that, that's it. That's it. That's, so it's technically not a pure strategy game, but it doesn't get much farther away from luck than Puerto Rico. So I do appreciate that part of it. I, I agree. Art and production definitely goes to underwater cities. It's just for the lozenges alone. <laughs> I like the lozenges. Those are fun. Those are better I say, than- It goes to that just for those alone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. I appreciate that CGE does it. And, and the boards, they aren't bad. You know, they're definitely better than, than those. But as far as the game itself goes replay value that's a toss-up if we're talking i think underwater uh, cities does have one expansion yeah and and puerto rico has multiple expansions however though i do want to mention this uh because we're probably gonna get a comment about it or whatnot we understand the the theme of puerto rico is hard for some people because the colonialism aspect of it we're not saying that isn't a problem we're just talking about how the game plays itself yeah, exactly. Um, can you imagine like an upgraded version of this, like 3D buildings and like cool, cool little bonuses and stuff you can do? Like a, it'd still be a chore to play. It would still be a chore to play, but I think that would be. I think a lot more people would be that much more in, excited about it. I really do. But so I, the main reason I wanted to look at the the box itself, and that's because for the life of me, I didn't remember what the end game bonuses were. And that's yeah, because, I didn't get that either. Yeah, that's because certain buildings, the larger buildings, give you points based on what other buildings you've built. But that's it. Everything else is simply what you've produced, what you're, what you're making, and then there's a little bit of endgame bonuses. It's a beautifully pure strategy game. It's really great. It, when we're talking mechanistic like, wise, this is going to be yeah. hands down one of the best games out there. But when we're not just talking about mechanistics, this this is in the yeah. game bonuses, and I think right. Underwater Cities wins that aspect of it. I would say it wins in a couple a couple factors. Definitely art and production. Um, meaningful choice, I think, goes to to Puerto, Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, and I agree. I think ease of play actually, and hear me out, goes to Puerto Rico, and that's because. I don't know. I I play a lot of heavy... Okay, go ahead. Yeah, hear me out. All it is, the buildings themselves are are already set in stone. It just have a single cost of how much uh, coins or whatever the currency is. 
that's all it is to buy. They don't do anything complicated. It's just, it's, it's one of those super tight strategy games. It's easy to understand. You make production of, of goods. You sell those goods for money. You spend the money to buy buildings. That's it. Underwater Cities has so much of that. I go to this spot to enhance this part of my board, which yeah. might trigger this part. I, it, it, I, I get that. I just remember playing Underwater Cities in Puerto Rico, and both of them were a bit of a chore for the first time playing through, but I was lost h- halfway through Puerto Rico. Underwater Cities, I picked up a lot quicker. And that's because, again, worker placement, just playing cards on top of it, I, I that clicked a lot better. Puerto Rico was a bit of a chore because it's just like, oh, wait, I'm supposed to do what now? Okay, I got to do this what, huh? I, it was a bit My- of a chore for me. The simplicity of the mechanisms, I feel Puerto Rico is similar to Monopoly versus the worker placement. Like, whoa, worker whoa, placement whoa. Is how is roll and move Puerto Rico? Not, not the roll and move. It's the buying and selling of property because that's what you're doing. You're buying just buildings that fit on your grid. That's all you're doing. And obviously the bigger buildings cost more because they do more stuff. It, it does make sense. I think... Personally, ease of play goes to Puerto Rico. I'll give you ease of play. That's fine. Yeah. I, I just, honestly, I just remember having a much harder time with this one than I did with Underwater Cities. Right. That's probably why I haven't played Puerto Rico since. But that we've also played Puerto Rico a lot longer ago, like before we were heavier gamers than Underwater Cities. No, no. I played Underwater Cities before Puerto Rico. Because I, Underwater Cities was the first time I ever played with our mutual friend at, at the shop was one of the first games I ever played with him. Whereas underwater or, uh, Puerto Rico, he came to my house with his brother and we played here. Oh, okay. Then you played Puerto Rico before I did then. So anyway, I played Puerto Rico long before I played Underwater Cities. So, no, you, I played know. Underwater Cities before you. Yeah, because we showed you that after right. Puerto Rico a couple months later. Yeah, and, and but Underwater Cities was a grog to get through. Uh, game immersion definitely goes to underwater cities, hands down. It's it's just more thematic. It's not it doesn't have much more theme, but it does. But it <laughs> no, does. These, have these are straight up heavy euros. In all yeah, I think uh, uh, honestly, I think meaningful choice and ease of play goes to Puerto Rico. Art in production immersion is underwater cities definitely. Um, replay value. Although there are technically more expansions, I think, for Puerto Rico, technically, I do think the variability in, in underwater cities versus the complete, you play the exact same game in Puerto Rico. Yeah, pretty much. Is what sets it apart. Um, they're both long games. They both don't scale at all. <laughs> um, but min- minimum number of plays for full experience, I think, would go to... Well, if we go expandability to Puerto Rico and minimum number of plays and we're pushing on the length of time it's getting well, let's just go straight fan vote. Okay. Because it, it, it would it would have been pushed no matter what. They're going to split replay value. They split everywhere mm-hmm. else. We'll go fan vote in Underwater Cities moves on. Puerto Rico only got one vote. I am actually shocked about that. I wrote the list. Yeah. Yep. I saw that coming. Well, my thing is I forgot where they were, and I thought Puerto Rico was higher on the list. Nope. I thought it was a more popular game. And well, now it's okay because Underwater and- Cities is going to have a hard time. Yep, it will. So Underwater Cities moves on. 
from our quarterfinals. All Daniel, right. And how many, how many votes did each of the games that got eliminated get? So as I mentioned, Puerto Rico, which was our most recent one eliminated, had one vote. And it was tied with Azul. I'm surprised Azul only got one vote. And the other two eliminated, La Havre and Clank, didn't get a single vote. Can't imagine why. And we have one of our viewers, uh, Splinting, gave us a shout out and said, hey, hello. <laughs> All right. On to our next round. We're going to our semifinals. Our first round is terraforming Mars versus underwater cities. Both areas that have very little air and you need special suits to be part of it. And you need a lot of science technology to manufacture plants. Yeah, sounds about right. All right, yeah. who's going Other first? Than that, very different game. I will be Both starting pretty, off, turning us off. Both are pretty heavy too. Mm-hmm. You get terraforming Mars. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah. There we go. Well, unlike underwater cities, if we're going purely by, based on our criteria, uh, terraforming Mars, I do think moves on. There are some there are some downplays to terraforming Mars, but as far as endgame goals go, terraforming Mars has it by far. Underwater cities is more of a, how do you build your engine efficiently? How do you use the mechanisms of worker placement? using the tiles effectively, you're using your resources to build up that engine and that underwater city. How do you network them together and how do you manage it in order to win? It's less about the end game victory points. Sure, there are some technically, but really Terraforming Mars is where it's all out. Terraforming Mars gives you victory points for a slew of different things and that's based on how you play your cards. I think that's what people like about it more so is that they get the same feel of this big heavy game, but with just card play as opposed to actually planning out the board and planning out this and how does one thing function with another. I think Terraforming Mars would be fun. To the point, my thing with Terraforming Mars is like, oh, we're going to make Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition. You know, Terraforming Mars, the card game. Was it Terraforming Mars already a card game? Yep. And it has a board. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay. I, I, it's more streamlined, I hear, from what people are saying, but no, I don't disagree with everything you said. I do have to say, I think Underwater Cities is the prettier game. The lozenge pieces beat anything. The I, I beat the translucent cubes that Terraforming Mars gives you. Uh, the board itself is much more uh, nice to look at, I guess you could say. Even when you're starting to put stuff on the board on Terraforming Mars, it's not pretty at all. And it's better now, especially since I got the upgraded expansion for it. But when it comes down to it, I can't disagree with a lot of what you just said because I'm going through our list here. Ease of play. Which one do you think is easier to play? Terraforming, Terraforming Mars. Replay value. Uh, both are pretty long games. Uh, I think uh, Terraforming Mars wins that because minimum number of plays to get to see all the cars in just the base game alone. And then the base game has two. Uh, things you could do. You can play easy mode or you can play the more advanced game as well as you can start drafting cards as well. And the expandability is where I think it takes replay value. I think there's one underwater city expansion, whereas there's five, six, if you include the upgrade packs, um, expansions for Terraforming Mars. The and not just the expansions. I'm going to add on to that. 
the fact that you're drafting those cards or playing entirely card play is hugely different than worker placement with set spots. Mm-hmm. You don't change spots that are on the underwater cities board. You're set in stone. There is more replay value, hands down, in Terraforming Mars. Which one do you think has more meaningful choices? That's the only one that's kind Underwater of... Underwater cities, hands down. Because okay, you're yeah. beholden to what you draw on the cards. If you get a yeah. bunch of really cheap things that don't benefit you later in the game, it's garbage. If you draw a bunch or, of fake stuff that you can't... Yeah, yeah you get a bunch of bad cards that cost yeah. a lot, or you need the weather temperature to be at a certain point. Yeah, it's a lot of arbitrary choices. I'll give you that. Okay. Yep. And game immersion. Which one do you think fits into game bonus better? You said Terraforming Mars. I don't disagree with you. Which has better player interaction? Player interaction. Um, ooh, that's tricky. Because I would say Underwater City has more interaction based on... Well, well... No, I think it's Terraforming Mars myself. I. So here's my argument. This is specifically thematic... Uh, player interaction, not gameplay. Mm-hmm. So, are you more likely to re- or play a Martian in Terraforming Mars based on what you're doing, or are you more likely to play like a guy who who's down under the sea and play like the Sea Lab 2021? Or <laughs> well, I think it for me the Terraforming Mars player interaction as well is that oh, I'm going to drop this big old asteroid, or I'm going to drop this nuke to raise the temperature, and so. You have sure. all that, and you're just like, yeah, blowing this up, and you're getting into that's true. That I forgot about stuff. those cards. Those big game breaking cards. That's that's huge. That makes those really stand up moments. No, you're right. Or that's a, and even just if we're team. talking like the table talk itself. If you like, okay, I'm going to do this, which raises the water level. Oh, I just put the last piece of water on there, and somebody was working to get up to that point, and they were like going to do that on the next turn. So you see a lot more of that than you do in underwater cities. So I have to say, I agree with you. As much as I like underwater cities, terraforming Mars moves on. Yep. Good it deal. looks like it's three to two. Absolutely. And our next round of the semifinals is Wingspan versus Everdell. Battle of the Animals. One's a little more realistic than the others. And Daniel, yeah. you'll be starting us off. And this is a tough one for me because these are my two favorite games on this list. Uh, comparative so. And I yep. get Wingspan. Wingspan. Yeah, All right. Whatever. All right. So, so that, okay, Wingspan, honestly, I think should be the game that goes up against uh, Terraforming Mars. As much as I like Everdale, I think Wingspan's the simpler of the two, even with the worker placement. It's just, again, when we talked about it, about uh, Tidal Blades, it's just Everdale's fun. But there's a lot going on. You got to pay attention to what the cards are going. You got to pay attention to the in-game bonuses. You have to pay attention to everything at the table, whether you're what your tableau. Because you got to remember, you got to pay a five-five-five grid unless the card says you can break it. Otherwise, uh, stuff like that. Uh, also, I think as pretty as Everdale is, I like the art better in Wingspan to the point they've made a whole book series based on the art of Wingspan. <laughs> so the art's there. I like the graphic design uh, in Wingspan because it makes sense how everything's going. This bird you would see in uh, the forest or this bird you would see in the plains, this bird you would see there, and then how the mechanisms itself feels thematic for the bird as well. Plus, if we're just going with the game immersion, 
You mentioned it the first time we argued this. There's just so much more for Wingspan because you have the cards, you have the birds that have the in-game bonuses, you have all the other stuff that gives you those points. Yeah, I just think Wingspan is the better game. Okay. Um, so my argument is for Everdell. I don't disagree with what you're saying. They're both very similar games in the fact that they are a tableau engine building game. I would actually say Everdell, I feel, is a little easier than than uh, Wingspan. I think the mechanisms in Wingspan are more fun because in Everdell, really, all your it's a worker placement game. Yeah, there is Tableau, but that's less of what the game is, where the Tableau in Wingspan, you choose an action spot and you have to go down a series of things that trigger and and the way you change it drastically changes the way you play. And, and so that it is a card game, it is a tableau, but the fact is every turn you're using your tableau for your benefit, I feel is a little more complicated than Everdell's worker placement take whatever it says. That's just me. I personally think that it's, it's easier to play. Not by Honestly, I saw someone make this argument on another uh, uh, group. I think it was either Facebook or the Revolution or the Dice Tower group, where they're saying is, Wingspan, at its simplest form, is push a cube down a row. <laughs> In a way, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's technically a roll and move at this point. Right? <laughs> In the sense, you just get to choose which one you're going to go on. And I yeah. was like, I, I was like that meme where I was just like, he's not wrong. <laughs> In its simplest form, yeah. Um, I mean, but then also, Everdell in its simplest form is 52 card pickup, you know, like it's in a sense, you still have the worker placement. You have to be smart in how you resource manage, but that's just how you play. All right, yeah. so you think ease of play. Okay, simplicity and familiarity of the mechanism. You think goes to Everdale, or do you think that goes yeah. to Wingspan? I think Everdale. All right, the likelihood of getting to the table. I would say that's a wash. Here's my thing. There, there's a way we can tease this in a sense because you can look at the cells and there's more likelihood that Wingspan gets to the table just based off cells alone. It's brought people into the hobby because of its theme. I'm going to argue that. I'm going to call, I'm gonna call, call you out on that because I don't think, I have not yet met anybody or heard of any cases where, <coughs> where somebody said, I was a bird watcher. And because of wingspan, my my counter argument was that I have yet <coughs> seen anybody who said I was an avid bird watcher, and now because of wingspan, I play Puerto Rico. You know, like not I haven't seen that. I don't think that actually exists. I I can I, show you where you can see it because I've seen it. Okay, okay. that's fine. If it, somebody <coughs> who's not ever into board games at all. And was an avid bird watching enthusiast, become a harder gamer, uh, middle to heavyweight gamer, and consistent, have like collections like we do. I saw someone of- in the Wingspan board gaming group, because Stonemeyer does it where they have like every a board game group for every single one of their games. In the Wingspan group says he was an avid birder. He played Wingspan, really enjoyed it. Wanted a recommendation for somebody else to, or what other games he should play that are along that line. And someone recommended Terraforming Mars to him, and he fell in love with that game. Okay. <laughs> right. if, that, 
if he had never played games before that, then <coughs> no, he said uh, the the only game he played before that, like uh, was like with the childhood ones, like Sorry and Risk and stuff like that. And this is a guy in like his fifties. Interesting. Okay, so then I will happily stand corrected. I just haven't seen that. That's brand new. Yeah, yeah. You just have to join the Wingspan uh, board gaming group on Facebook, and they'll tell you that. But I imagine with Everdell too, people have gotten into that because they watch something like uh, any of the Disney with anamorphic animals. Ah, oh, yeah. That, there's that too. Could be. I mean, it's probably less likely, but could be. Um, but yeah. Anyway, I think uh, Everdell is easier to play. Okay, the I will give you easy play. Table, I think, is only fair to call it a watch. Okay. My thing is, I think Everdell lends to more analysis paralysis than Wingspan. Not by much. I just think because of all the million parts, where do I place this people? Where do I place, uh, or which card do I play out of my hand? Where do I get my resources and stuff like that? That tends to lend itself a little more to the analysis paralysis than Wingspan does. Because it's like, okay, let me get this food for these birds. Let me get this. Okay, now I can do this. And now these are giving me food and engine. I just think that lends itself to be less analysis paralysis. Okay. I don't disagree with that. So it's a wash. It's a wash. All right. So here's another wash, I think. Replay value. Uh, Wingspan plays how many? Wingspan plays up to six. Five or six, yeah. Okay. How many? Everdell are... just can go, I think it just went up to six based on expansions. So I think base game is only four, and then a couple of expansions, I think, went five or six as well. I think Wingspan is six, because that tends to be Stonemeyer's thing. And I think Everdell can go up to five or six now. Okay. So then, uh, as far as base game goes, it wins on players. Wingspan wins on length of time and scale, yeah. yeah. Minimum number of plays to get the full experience. I think both of those are washed just on the vanilla as well. Because yep. every bird plays differently, every all, all the cards play differently. There's a couple of the same cards in the set, but it all plays differently. Yeah. Now expendability. Here's another one that is a wash because Everdell has up to six expansions. So one Harrowbrook, uh, one, two, three, four, five expansions. Wingspan is getting six confirmed expansions, and this is one of the ones we're talking about with future expansions. Uh, they have been confirmed by the designer that they want to do an expansion for every continent. Right now, we only have two. So there's four more coming. Yeah. And then next, they're going to make uh, fish fish span, <coughs> and it'll be, uh, or fin span. Then it'll be all the, uh, all five now of the oceans, right? You know? <laughs> yeah, five oceans now. But So I think replay value, just on what we're talking about, wingspan wins that one. Meaningful choice. Yeah. Which one do you think has more meaningful choice? I'm going to go off on a tangent real quick about the ocean. Let me tell you what, what annoys me about that. A number of years ago, I was an elementary school teacher. I remember it was a very recent announcement that they're like, oh, the Southern Ocean is a thing. You know, it's the fifth ocean. We were teaching that already. That was common core. That was already acknowledged in school. Well, the thing is, Southern Ocean has been acknowledged for a while. Yeah. It's only just recently that the public acknowledges it. I didn't realize that it wasn't acknowledged prior to this. What, well, what's like up I was, <laughs> uh, what I was telling with our, our friends here is like they're changing everything from when I was at school that I remember. We only had four oceans. Now we got five. We had nine yeah. planets. Now we have eight in a dwarf planet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So which category are we on again? 
uh, we were on meaningful choice. Another thing about the Southern Ocean, no. <laughs> <laughs> meaningful choice. Um, I would say wingspan, just because of the way that engine is building. Sure, the end game bonuses are more valuable in in uh, the the other game, Everdell, but wingspan I think definitely has more meaningful choices for sure. Now, when you talk about valuable at the end of the game, is uh, are you talking about like they're worth more points or no? The... I'm talking like there's more ways to get points. Like, sure, you get points in this in wingspan. It's like, oh, you get X number of points if you do this, or if you have the most, you get X number of points. This yeah. is like if you have this card but not this card. If you do these things, you know, it Everdell has yeah, a lot okay. more game excitement and creative so chaos joining us. Hi. No, I don't disagree with you. Uh, I think meaningful choice impacting. Well, here's the thing: you don't really impact the other players' strategies all that much in either game, unless you take a bird out of the the, the well, or if you take a like a spot that they want to get resources from. But there's other ways to mitigate that as well. Yeah. So, which one do you think is least likely for arbitrary choices? Um, Everdell. No, yeah, Everdell is less arbitrary choices, hands down. Yeah, I because agree. Because replacement spots are, are are finite. You know what you can mm -hmm. go for. Wingspan is beholden to what you have in your hand. All right, so if my math is correct, Everdell's up two to one. Which one do you think has the better art production? I know who I think has the better art production. I can only say that's a wash. I personally think the graphic design is better in Wingspan. I prefer the art in Everdell and the components. I would say uh, the components would probably be wingspan in my opinion. And that's because the Everdell tree is awesome, but hindering. But it's a nuisance. Yes. That's, that's where I was going to go with this is that as much as I like that tree, there's two problems with that tree. You cannot break it down because it's a pain in the butt to put back together. And two, if you're playing a four player game, it's going to block views. Yep. To the point, in one of the expansions, they made a board to put there instead. Mm -hmm. If you're playing a four-player game. Yep. So, so we're at 2-2, two -two game immersion. This is where it comes down to it. Oh, neither. Which, uh, so in-game, uh, we agree that Everdell fits the category best. Yeah. I think Wingspan has a little bit more player interaction. Because honestly, the whole basis of the game is you're basically making a sanctuary, your bird watcher, so you're trying to spot these birds. And trust me, I've been yelled at many times for taking a bird someone else wanted. Sure, but that's that's because of the game. Which one are you more likely to to be role playing? Anamorphic creatures that are going through honestly, the forest. I will not deny this fact to, to the people out there. I don't get into Everdell as an anamorphic animal. I'm just more like, hey, I got the husband, now let me bust out the wife. I don't feel like I'm building the city. I'm just, it, to me, out of this game, this is where I feel it's more mechanistic. I don't feel that. Whereas, and I think it's because I used to bird watch with my uncle when I was younger. So when I get sure. a bird out there, I'm like, oh, I've seen this one. I get this. I know what to do. I feel like I'm back when I was a kid. Yeah. And that's that's a good nostalgic factor of it for sure because you can't just go. I remember when I was a kid and I was a I was <coughs> a that was roaming yeah. forest for trees. Like you can't. That that's not a thing. Um, but I 
the the problem I have is that the theme is so non-existent with Wingspan. It's almost negative theme. Like <laughs> well, yeah. the theme's not really there in Everdell either. I'm not gonna lie. It, it no, I agree. But literally, boiled down, the theme of Wingspan is sitting and existing while staring at something. Like that's what you're doing. Have you How? never been bird watching? I have. I that's have. very thematic. It, I, but that's okay. the thing. Like, how have you watching TV is just as thematic? Like, if there's a game about watching TV, then yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's beautiful art. It's just, I can't, there is no player interaction as far as the storyline goes. There's nothing. No, there's player interaction and, when it comes to like the, no, I, I honestly, I played both of these games with different groups, and I think Wingspan just comes out more for me. Again, the nostalgia factor, it reminds me. And the thing is, if you've got play or uh, have you gone with an actual birder and stuff like that, they actually take those Audubon Bird Society books, and they'll check and write notes when they see this bird in time of day and stuff like that. And that's basically what Wingspan does, because those player boards are those books. Yeah, it it is, but that's not that's just another version of someone collecting something. As an avid collector myself, like you know I collect stuff like playing cards, right? I get really excited. I have checklists. I've reviewed these. I love playing cards. I always have them near me. Is right. that a theme? Is that going to bring out story or like stand up mo- no. That's never if there was a game about playing card collecting, I would love the mess out of it. Nobody else would care. There, there is a all. game about card collecting. It's called Millennium Blades. <laughs> That's a thing, right? In a way. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I can't in good conscience say that there's more player interaction in Wingspan than Everdale because I feel like they're both. I'm the not same. saying there's more. I'm just saying I feel more in there, honestly, because Everdale, to me, it's setting, mechanistic. The fantasy setting of building that little, like, anthropomorphized village versus. Sitting there looking at birds. I, uh, there's creator no chaos way. is making fun of us. You. I, there, yeah, there's no way that I can, I can okay. give that. Okay, let's call it a wash. Because I don't think either one of us is budging on this one. All right, sure. All right, so... Fantasy thing uh, makes more sense. If my calculations are correct, we're 2-2 with a wash. Therefore, we got to go to the fan vote. And Everdale. Everdell is moving on. Wow. Okay. I actually wasn't expecting that. Oh, goodness. This is an interesting one. So we have Terraforming Mars versus Everdell. All right. So Underwater Cities was our number three vote getter with eight. Wow. Okay. And Wingspan, which is our two seed, was our number four vote getter with four. Okay. Good deal. And Creative Chaos pointed out that we both have very strong feelings. You are very passionate about staring at aviated animals. <laughs> All right. So Terraforming mm-hmm. Mars versus Everdale, our one seed versus our three seed here. Okay. And the big thing about this is we mentioned it before. We don't take a side on this one. This one is going strictly down through our five criteria until we come up with a winner, whether it be Terraforming Mars or Everdale. So I have to ask you this, Danny. Which uh, criteria pops out of you? Which one do you think wins? Art and production. 
I think you know where I'm going with this. Everdale. Everdale moves, gets one for art and production, hands down. Even with the hindrance of that tree, it's still a much better looking game. It's because the components, like those berries and the and the bits, the resources, are better than the cubes. I I, I love well, shiny things. There's not just that. Let's just put it this way. Everdell is known as one of the best games to play, but also yeah. one of the most upgraded games out there. I have the upgraded recess boards for the those cubes that you're talking about. I have the 3D printed pieces that came in the upgraded box for it. <laughs> so it's like, uh... Yep. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with that. Um, there is another one that I think also uh, stands out, and that's Meaningful Choices. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I know you're going with this one. T-Mars? Ever no, Everdale. Absolutely. Because they're both uh, they are both card games at their core, but the, yeah, now yeah, now that I think of it, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, and so even though you're putting down stuff and spreading your influence on the board and terraforming Mars, the tableau. My my only argument with that one is that you don't necessarily have to play the cards of terraforming Mars as well, because you could spend your resources to either claim an award, which will give you in the game bonuses. Or you can uh, use it to, if you just spend your resources to put a tree up there to raise the oxygen, or basically outright buy an ocean and put it out there, that kind of stuff. So there is meaningful choices there, but I think yep. there's just more in Everdell. Yep, agreed. Um, and also the fact that it's so varying, like the cards are like you have cards that cost one or two or coin or whatever it is. Though I will say this: when we talk about replay value. With terraforming Mars, there's no card that's the same. It's right. every card is different. Yes, and so replay value, I completely agree wholeheartedly. That goes to terraforming Mars. All right, theme matching mechanism or re oh, immersion. Do we Honestly, feel like building uh, a anthropomorphized <laughs> animal village in the forest? Or do we feel like we're actually terraforming Mars? Honestly, I think the way the mechanisms work, I feel more like I'm terraforming Mars than I am playing anthropomorphic character in building a little you know, city. Um, not that I haven't. I, I mean, come on. I'm the one that owns Everdell. I really enjoy it. There used to be a tree behind me the whole time we recorded. I just think the the cards you're dropping those nukes you you feel like you're dropping those nukes to raise the temperature you feel like oh the ice caps are melting you're doing the right thing to get the water going or raising the oxygen playing these cards out there properly or as i mentioned buying these things and using the resources properly i do feel like i am a corporation doing these things because especially we didn't mention this you start as after the beginner game you start as a corporation so it kind of gives you how you want to play so if I want to get more science out there because I get bonuses for putting science out there, I do feel like I'm a scientific corporation. More so than Everdale is like, oh, I got the husband. I should start looking for the wife. This way I can get my bonus points. Or I have this out there, so maybe I need to get the wanderer if I can get the extra bonus points. Where it becomes, I don't really feel like I'm building a city. I'm just building uh, a tableau. Yep, I completely agree with you. 100%. So uh, that's which one has more stand-up moments? I think Terraforming Mars does as well. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the case of point we mentioned at the beginning, the brute force, when you and me, without talking to each other, knew what we wanted to do, and it was honestly our best way to do it. But as we both saw what we were doing, we just looked at each other like, 
it's on. And we just started brute forcing the end game. Yep, that's absolutely right. Okay, so then that's another point for terraforming Mars. So, so what it comes down to ease of, ease of play. Wow, <laughs> this almost never happens where ease of play is the exciting factor. Yeah, I know. So simplicity and familiarity of the mechanism. I would personally say Everdell because of the worker placement. And resource management is a very common thing. They and both they both have, have resources. They both have resources, but terraforming Mars, I feel like those resources are more complex in a way um, as to how you use them and what you use to convert and what they can be used for, whereas uh, Everdell is more generic. All right, so we got simplicity and familiarity mechanism. You say Everdell, I can't disagree with you on that. Prone to AP. Terraforming Mars, maybe? I would I don't know. say, oh no, the thing is, I would say Everdell has it because, again, we talked about it, Terraforming Mars can force people to get the AP players to start moving if you're brute forcing. It has basically built into it to brute force it. Right. And, and the tableau, as I said at the top of the debate, you know, you get confused, you get a little distraught playing it. Uh, in, in Everdell, so I can't backpedal on my terms. I do agree with that. Uh, familiarity would go to Terraforming Mars. Oh, uh, you mean pro, uh, le less prone to or, AP? Yes, yeah, less prone to AP, yep. Likelihood to get to the table. I think, it, man, that's tough because do you do people like fantasy more or do they like sci-fi more? Because they're both... Okay. Uh, I'll... I'll go to this one is I think I have an idea what I would say personally, but you're a game group. You show games at a board game shop. Which do you think to the general public you can get them to play more? Everdell. I don't and disagree that's... with you. I would say the same thing. Because if you're thinking yeah. about like teenagers or just in general, uh, anamorph anamorphic animals, again, the Disney kind of thing, I think Everdell would be more likely to get to the table than you know, that ugly ass sin game that is terraforming Mars. And, and, and I think my reasoning for it is, and this sounds very fickle, but I'm going to say it, it's the one word in the title, terraforming, would immediately put off a whole group of people like, wow, that sounds complicated. I don't even know what that means. I'm out. Whereas no, no, I get you. It does sound like a Disney movie. I don't disagree with you. Actually, that's where I was going to go because I just think it's more than likely. Again, you mentioned it earlier when it comes to like the Disney stuff that people are familiar with that and the anamorphic animals and you're building a city. And you got those cute little squishy berries. That's so, right. Yeah, so I agree. So said, it pushes that Everdell is the winner of the best games with endgame bonuses. I honestly did not see that one coming. Arendale, I think is what it's called. Yeah, that's, you're not wrong, Creative Chaos. Yeah, uh, Arendale is a fictional thing. But, I mean, if you hear the term Everdale, what, let, let's ask the viewers, anybody who's watching, what would you pick between uh, not knowing anything about the game, would you rather play a game called Terraforming Mars or Everdale? Just throw that out there. Answer as you will. We're, we're going to discuss this. That. This was a fun debate. This was definitely a topic that we don't tend to do. 
uh, I know like your four favorite games were on the top list, weren't they? Yeah, there, there were some up there. Like the top three were some of my favorite games. And then, of course, the uh, number five, Underwater Cities, was another one of my favorites. I do yeah. have to mention this. Everdale was our second best vote getter at 12. And Terraforming Mars was our leader. It got eliminated by Everdale at 22. Wow. That says something, doesn't it? So those were, we agreed with those. Uh, Everdale makes it seem more immersive just based on that alone. Yep. Completely agree. Completely agree. Yeah. Well, I, I would, can't disagree with that. I kind of want to play Everdale again. It's been a while. <laughs> I'll bust it out once I get into that house. All right. In fact, like it's over there. The the tree. The, the only thing I have board game wise really is the, the tree that was sitting behind me. It's in a box up front. That's awesome. Well, that was a fun episode and we're glad uh, if you're watching us live, don't go away because we are going to be filming another episode coming up soon. It's going to be one of our quick, quick and easy episodes. It's going to actually be a really quick, easy episode, but it's going to be interesting. Absolutely. But speaking of staying tuned, if you ever want to watch us film one of these episodes live, you absolutely can. Like our friends Crate and anybody else who joined us today, uh, you can join us at twitch.tv slash everydayboardgames. As well as you can find all video re-uploads on YouTube at Everyday Board Games 2020. And if you like what we do here, there's three things that you can do to help us to grow on that platform. Subscribe if you're not, like the video, and comment down below and tell us your thoughts on the subject. As well as all audio versions can be found on most podcast platforms under the Everyday Board Games podcast. This includes Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, and Podbean. And if you ever want to say hi reach out to us directly, or even just give us ideas for future episodes. We're always looking for great ideas, and we'd love to hear yours. Email us at everydayboardgames2020 at gmail.com. As well as you can also get in contact with us at our official Twitter account, and it's at EBG Podcast. So we want to thank you all for tuning in. As I said before, if you're tuning in with us live, hang out for a bit because we're going to film another episode. Otherwise, we want to thank you for tuning in. I've been your host, Daniel. And I've been your host, Daniel. And we want to thank you for listening to Everyday Board Games. Have a good one.